Hey everyone, welcome to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, sponsored by the North Jersey Vipers, the longest-running softball program in Bergen County and one of the premier programs in all of New Jersey. They have a proven recruiting track record for getting players to the next level. The Vipers currently have 21 alumni playing NCAA college softball. So if you or your daughter or someone you know is looking to play softball at a high level for an elite club team for excellent coaches who care about the players, the person, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. So what have we learned in the first 10 days of the college basketball season here in the Tri-State? UConn is as good as advertised. Seton Hall may be better than we thought. It's going to take time for St. John's to gel. Now, didn't Rick Patino warn us about that in the preseason? Did we not listen to what Patino, the Hall of Famer, was saying? Ah, it's so easy to get caught up in the hype, isn't it? Well, the same can be said for Rutgers. It's clearly going to take time for the new backcourt. He has a brand new backcourt, Steve Peichel does. He's still trying to figure it out. It's going to take a little bit of time. But if any coaches can get it done, it's Rick Pitino and Steve Peichel. Hey, what have we learned from the mid-majors? Iona, Sacred Heart, St. Peter's, Monmouth, Princeton, FDU. They are still very good, if not better than last year. And have a chance to all be in the picture in the postseason in their conferences. But we begin in Princeton. The Tigers are 2-0 after an impressive opening win over Rutgers. And then at Hofstra, look, which is never an easy place to play. The Pride are once again one of the favorites in the Colonial Athletic Conference. They were the regular season champs last year. So that team is still very, very good. Two big wins for Princeton to start the season. And here to talk about the Tigers is a friend of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, the associate head coach of Princeton, Brett McConnell. Brett, thanks for coming on and welcome back. Thanks for having me, Brian. You know, I had a, had a lot of fun last March and during the, the whirlwind that was last uh, last March for us, uh, being able to come on and, and, and talk some hoops with you. So um, always fun to be with you and uh, looking forward to chatting. Yeah, listen, I appreciate it. And Brett, you guys picked up right where you left off. I mean, this team looks impressive in these two wins. Uh, I, I want to work backwards. We'll get to the Rutgers win in a second. But but Hofstra, you know, this is a team that had beaten you the last two years. And I know that Aaron Estrada had gone to Alabama. But, you know, you guys are going into their building. It's, it's you know, a great atmosphere. And then what was it? Eight minutes into the game, you find yourself becoming the head coach because Mitch gets a double technical for arguing some travel. What's going through your mind? <laughs> you know, I thought I thought he might get the first technical. Um, the second one came really fast. I, I wasn't uh, certainly certainly was not expecting that heading into to the game. Um, you know, I had. Uh, the scouting report for for that Hofstra game. So so you're you're you know your mind's in a certain place and and thinking about certain game plan and um, coverages defensively that kind of thing. And um, you know I'm I'm really fortunate. Number one, Mitch, you know has has just been a great mentor and given me 
uh, a great deal of responsibilities for for years and years now. So so that's benefited me. And and then, um, you know, it's funny to call it fortunate because, you know, in 2019, he was sick. We played uh, we won at Dartmouth and I had I had to take over for that game. And then he had COVID for a couple games uh, during the, the 21, 22 season. So, you know, to get for this to be now my fourth opportunity to, to fill in for him, um, it's never easy. Um, but I, but I could lean on that experience a little bit and, you know, it took me, uh, you know, 20 seconds or so to just kind of recognize that this was going to happen. Um, but, but I was certainly more prepared this time around because of the past experiences. I mean, do you, do you look at that? I want to talk about this technical, you know, I, I get the first technical, like you said, but boy, to get a quick hook like that, two T's in a row, what was he surprised by it or was he asking for it? You know, you know, Brian, there's a policy. I don't know exactly what the league policy is, you know, in regards to speaking on officiating. Okay. Uh, you know, you know, I'm a Rutgers football fan and and Coach Shannon would say we follow the protocol and we're gonna send it into the uh to the league office. So um I'm not gonna comment on on the officiating. Um, but uh but certainly was really, really proud of of how the guys responded um as as a group collectively. I, I told them in the huddles, like there's 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 25 head coaches today, right? Like our staff, our players up and down the bench, like everybody's going to carry a little bit of a bigger load today. And they stepped right up and, and really weren't phased uh, by a tough moment. And and how were you able to, you know, uh, uh, gut out this win at Hofstra? What do you what do you think was was the key other than, uh, l- l- well, let's just start with Caden Pierce. I mean, you know, back to back games of 15, 15 rebounds, uh, you know, career high 26 points. Do you start with him, I guess? It's a great place to start. Great place to start. I mean, he carried a really big load and some huge buckets down the stretch and then one that kind of sealed it with maybe a couple minutes left. So he was he was just extraordinary. Um, I think defensively, though, big picture, that's a really tough team to guard. Um, Tyler Thomas, who averaged, you know, close to 17 points a game last year alongside Aaron Estrada, you know, and and um, that's a, that's a lot of points uh, playing alongside a guy like Estrada who, who takes a lot of shots. So. Um, Thomas is a is a, a really dynamic scorer for them. Um, the point guard Carlos, the four man Dubar, like really good team that has shooters around those guys. And um, I was proud of our of our defensive effort more more than anything. Um, really good uh, execution of the game plan, making it hard for for the primary guys, especially uh, Thomas. Um, so I think our you know we you talk about defense traveling and 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 bringing your defense with you on the road in in a tough environment as as you alluded to and you know they were celebrating their their conference championship that night yeah. you know it was the first division one home game for them it was a big deal on a Friday night really good crowd so I, I was proud of the way our guys uh, handled their business yeah the, the, I'm telling you I was at that Rutgers game and talk about handling business. You know, you, you never let that. I know it's a neutral site, but clearly the, the, there were more Rutgers fans there. Sure. You know, I, I put it at about, you know, maybe 4,000 Rutgers fans and, you know, uh, maybe 500 Princeton fans, something like that. Um, you never let that crowd into the game. You dictated the tempo of that game. Uh, really, you 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 out-physicaled them. You out-rebounded them. I mean, these are things that you're not supposed to do to a Big Ten team, yet you did it. How? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, we certainly on paper were were undersized in that matchup. And I think, you know, even uh, across mid-major world, I think some teams look at us as a, as an undersized team, at least the in the lineup that we've been playing a lot lately. But, you know, Zach Martini and Cade Pierce play play a lot bigger than than they're listed at. And, and you know, Zach guarded 
Cliff Amori and is guarding fives and is so tough, so gritty, so physical. Cade, you alluded to his rebounding, which is just, you know, I think pound for pound, it'd be hard for me to find a better rebounder in the country. I, I agree. Um, and then and then our guards are expected to rebound too. And and we were seventh in the country last year in defensive rebounding percentage. It's something we're going to hang our hat on again this year if we want to be as good as we think we can be. So, you know, rebounding up kind of above your 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 weight class, so to speak, is is going to be a big key to this season. And I, I thought that was the most impressive um, part of the game to out rebound Rutgers, who not only is a, a big 10 team, but a, a darn good rebounding big yeah. 10 team. Um, I think all of Coach Peichel's teams have have been like that. So um, that was impressive to me. And, and you, you mentioned the uh, the ability to to be unfazed by the atmosphere or any run that that Rutgers went on. And our, our leadership is just so good. Matt Alaco, um, senior captain, along with Martini and Peters, uh, just such a such a winner, such a leader, a great communicator. Um, and I think the guys are are leaning on some of that experience from big moments last year and. Uh, it's really a, a become a part of our our culture and our program um, to to be composed in big moments and big games. That's an excellent point, Brett. Because you know I was at the St. John's game the other night against against Michigan at Madison Square Garden, and you know let's face it, there's a lot of hype around St. John's, and and but they also have ten new faces there that that. Uh, you know, through the transfer portal that Rick Pitino is trying to put together. And Peichel has a, a whole entire new backcourt. And I know you lost some key players and, um, you know, obviously Tosan, you know, who's all world and uh, and Keyshawn and, and Ryan Langborg. But the continuity and the veterans and the leadership, the experience coming back, especially early in the season, um, we're seeing some teams struggle with chemistry early on and trying to get the pieces all together. How important has it been that you've had these leaders, that you've had guys that have been through the grind that you can lean on, uh, especially when you're trying to get wins early in the season that they all count? Yeah. You know, we we haven't had a uh, transfer come into the program since 1989. So <laughs> I think that speaks volumes to the, you know, cohesiveness and continuity that um, you know, our guys, there's an expectation that they're going to go through the program and get better and develop. And um, our juniors are going to become seniors and our sophomores are going to become juniors. And um, that passing of the torch and that leadership and, and kind of know-how and experience has become more and more unique in, in Division One basketball right now. And I think I think it's a strength for us, for sure. And um, I, I kind of like that it's that it makes us different. Um, and, and it's for, without question, played a, played a big part in our success over the years. So you mentioned 1989, who, who was that last Sean Jackson, Sean Jackson. Sean Jackson. He was a really good player for Princeton. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and that, and that just, that just tells you a lot, not that guys don't want to transfer in, but it's, it's, it's gotta be the right fit. And, 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 um, you know, you look at this team, uh, Xavier Lee, is a player that really caught, uh, if they didn't know enough about him, I mean, he was a very good role player for you last year, came off the bench and, you know, had some big moments. Um, did you know that he'd be able to step in this year and and do what he's done so far early in the season? And just, you know, he looks like a four-year veteran out there. You know, Xavier, first of all, had a really great summer with the Canadian national team playing uh, the FIBA World Championships, the under-19 World Championships. And, um, he was really impressive there. And and then, you know, in, in the preseason, we we really liked what, what he was doing. But the truth is, until 
until the game start and, and, and you know, we had a couple of scrimmages, but until the game start and, and the level of competition with Rutgers and Hofstra was, was really high. So until those games start, you don't really know exactly what you have. And, um, and, and obviously we're still learning and guys are developing their consistency. We've only played two games, so it's, you know, it's not anointing anyone yet, but, um, but his transformation and, and what he's done so far has, has been a major key to the season and has been uh, really impressive to watch. He's, he's always been a, a really dynamic player. He plays with a lot of flair. He can create offense by himself. But maybe what I'm most proud of is, is the nine assists and two turnovers that he has right now. He's been really efficient offensively. He's taking the right shots. I think someone as talented as him, it's probably hard to, to pick your spots because you feel like you can make every shot and, and you can always create offense. So, so finding that balance uh, is is a challenge, especially for a young player. And I think he's found that balance now and, and he's taking the right shots for the team. Uh, he's making his teammates better, balancing scoring and distributing really well. And, and to have, you know, to, to score and, and assist at that rate with only two turnovers in two games is really impressive. And we hope that he can continue to build off that and and um, perform the way he's played. Oh, no question. I mean, it, it all begins with with the point guard and uh, what he's doing and, and you know, going downhill that that one drive that he had, you know, with about four and a half minutes to go against Rutgers when they when they cut it for the second time to like two or three points uh, to me was, was the play of the game against Rutgers. You know, uh, the, 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 the courage to take that and just take what the defense gave him, you know. You know, Brian, it's just uh, I have to jump in on that point because. You know, they had um, Noah Fernandes had a, had a three-pointer that Xavier fouled him attempting a three. So the lead was five. Xavier fouls him. It cuts the lead to two. The crowd's getting really into the game. It would have been an easy time for a young player to get discouraged, to put their head down. And he stepped up right after that, you know, to to, to take that coast-to-coast coast and, and now extend the lead back to four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you're exactly right. I thought that was the play of the game. Huge, huge. So – you know, we talked about the three players that you've lost, and and the, so much of the offense ran through Tosan last year, and and rightfully so. Um, you know, what have you done? Uh, it seems like uh, Pierce is a guy that has kind of taken over that high post role in some aspects. Yeah, yeah, he he certainly has. You know, if you had to say that there's one player that's taken on that role, you'd say Cade. But the one thing about this team is the that I think we're a little bit more balanced, a little bit more interchangeable, and we've had different guys that that can play that spot. And uh, I do think that that's made us a little bit tougher to prepare for uh, the ability to put guys in different spots, play positionless basketball, to put a guy like Zach Martini, who you know is guarding other teams' fives, and put him on the perimeter, and then you know you can post Cade Pierce, you can post Matalaco. Those two guys can play in the high post. Xavier Lee is a dynamic you know, ball screen player. And then, you know, we haven't even mentioned Blake Pierce who made 10 threes in the NCAA tournament last year. So it's a really good group, tough to guard. And um, I think, I think teams are are having to pick their poison a little bit so far. Yeah. I, I you know, Alaco had hit some big shots uh, late in that first half against Rutgers. Uh, I know you put him in the high post in those situations. Uh, Steve Pico was scratching his head. You know, he, he was like, uh, you know, they're so tough to prepare for this team. And, they they did some things that I didn't see on film. So kudos to you and and Coach Henderson for uh, you know being so well prepared for that Rutgers game. Yeah, we we had that one circled on our calendar for a little while. Um, but again, I just think it's a credit to the experience of the guys. And you know what what happens is when you when you have a, a core that's that's 
played um, in our system now for, for at least a year, sometimes two or three, like those guys, even if we see something that maybe we haven't prepared for or haven't seen uh, so far this season, our guys have seen it maybe last year and they know how we guard different actions and, you know, establishing that foundation and building on that foundation. It goes back to what we said earlier, but you know, those guys make us look like good coaches because of their, their IQ and their, their experience. And it's a two way street. Uh, you know, they're, they're trusting you and you're trusting them and you, you can't do it without both ways, coach. Right. You're right. It's a good partnership. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I you could see it, you know? So, so listen, Princeton, it's tough to to get, you know, high major teams on the schedule. You got Rutgers on there, but man, you got some good teams on your schedule. And this Duquesne team that you're playing is, is uh, you know, they're going to compete for an Atlantic 10 championship and and they got some dudes over there and they've got some transfers and they've got experience like you. So, you know, what do you think of this matchup with Duquesne uh, going into their building? They're really good. They're really good, Brian. And, you know, they, they've uh, come off a win over Stony Brook. And, and prior to that, they they beat Charleston, who, you know, I yeah. think we all know Double how good digits. Charleston is. Yeah, no Both question. No question. So uh, it's a really tough challenge. Our schedule, and, and you 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 said it, but, you know, we have we have the one high major. We have a tens. We have, like, a, a, a list of the best mid-major programs in the country on our schedule. We're playing firm and Monmouth, who just beat – West Virginia is our is our game following Duquesne. Yep. So not to get ahead of ourselves, but the schedule is really, really tough. This challenge at Duquesne, they're they're really aggressive defensively. Um, they have three electric guards. I mean, three guards that are just shooting the lights out, can score, can pass. Um, it's a really tough challenge for us to go on the road again and um, face a team that, um, you know, I think can present a lot of problems on both sides of the ball. And they have, uh, you know, New Jersey fans and fans in the tri-state will will recognize the uh, the Drame twins uh, from their days at St. Peter's. They they went to that magical Elite Eight run. Um, you know, Hassan and and uh, Faseni, I think I pronounced his name right. You know, they're they're kind of like bookends, and they're both mirror images of each other on the court and and in person. Uh, what do you think of them? Oh man, well those two guys, we scrimmaged them last year with LaSalle. And the fact that two guys that that made a really big Im- impact on a team in the A-10 have transferred within the conference and are now coming off the bench, I mean, that that just speaks to the depth that this Duquesne team has. I mean, two really good players, 6'7", 6'8", long, athletic, defend, make shots, can rebound, can score inside. I mean, what a... What a what a nightmare that that those two guys are coming off their bench. Um, they're they're really good. We know them well. Uh, we're working really hard to prepare for them and know it's going to be a major major challenge. Yeah, well, I know I know you guys are uh, you know busy trying to put together the game plan, and I, I appreciate the time and you know coming on and 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 talking about this team being on the road so much. Uh, what is that like? You know, it can be a little grinding, but but it can also bring teams together. How are you guys handling it? Yeah, I think I think you're exactly right about that. I think, you know, the Rutgers game was neutral, but you mentioned it being a little bit of a, a road type atmosphere. The Hofstra game is a road game. Uh, this game tonight versus Duquesne is going to be a really tough road test. We have one home game in November. It's November 25th against Northeastern. Um, I think I think you grow from it. Would, would I like to have some more early season home games, of course? But but I think I think you really grow from this, you know, even just 
you know, this trip, like we spend five and a half hours on, on the bus to Duquesne. We have dinner in the hotel together. Um, we have pregame meal together. We, you know, there's just so many things you do um, on a road trip together that, that you really can bond and, and grow in different ways. And then of course the tests in those, you know, couple hours on the court with each other in a, in a tough environment, in a tough atmosphere, you have nobody but, but yourselves to kind of um, look to in, in tough moments. And I, I think that's another uh, really great way to grow. No, no doubt. And and when you have veterans, when you have a team that you think can win, when you have a team that, you know, did it in the NCAA tournament last year, uh, you, you, you schedule like this and you look around the Ivy league. I mean, these games are only going to come, only going to prepare you more for going on the road in the Ivy League and the grind that that presents itself come January and February. I'm sure you look around the the, the country just like we do, Coach. You know, Penn beating Villanova. You know, Yale doing well. Um, you know, Ivy League is is going to be good. What, what do you what do you think of what what Penn did? Oh man, the league the league's really good. It's really good. I think last year our league was ranked 11th or 12th. You know, Ken Palm rankings of the top you know whatever 35 conferences or so that there are in division one and we're ranked ahead of the a10 which we all know is a great a great conference so our league is really really good i'm i'm not surprised to see penn get a big win yale just beat loyola marymount all the way on the west coast yeah uh harvard i think might be undefeated right now i mean you, you go up and down um up in cornell's undefeated i mean I'm, I'm sure i'm missing some some good wins from those other programs too but the league is really really tough and uh, we we know it because we've lived it for, you know, definitely these past couple of years and for a long time where any team can beat any other team on any night in, in our league. And, um, you know, even Princeton and Yale, who who shared the title uh, this past year and, and we won the title the year before that, like um, teams, teams have gotten those teams at the top. So you've, you've got to be ready to go. You know, I, I know you're ready to go, Brett, and and I just want to just ask you a couple more questions, and, and thanks for coming on. Um, you know, you've been at Princeton since 2012. Before that, of course, you you know, you grew up at Rutgers with, with your dad being, uh, you know, an administrator there for so many years and and in the athletic department, and obviously you, you came up through the ranks as manager and uh, coach. Um, what are you learning all these years uh you know, a little bit of Rutgers, but certainly under Mitch since 2012, um, being his right-hand man, and you, you have a great job, a great position. Um, you know, what what are you learning from him? Oh, man, so, so much, so much, Brian. I mean, I think it's funny because, you know, as long as I've been here now and, and we've had, you know, some some new members on staff this year and the past couple of years and getting a chance to mentor those guys, I, I kind of start to realize you know, I remember when I came from St. Peter's where I spent a year under under John Dunn and, um, you know, I right. had certain ideas, you know, coming to Princeton from my background, which at that point was was limited St. Peter's and a couple small college jobs. Um, and now, you know, Princeton has shaped and formed the way I see the game, the way I think about basketball, the way I evaluate recruits, the type of culture and chemistry and type of people that I, you know, that we, we want to bring into our program. So, it's been every it's been everything, you know, the, the opportunities Mitch has given me with with recruiting, with scouting, with, um, you know, big picture development stuff with with the guys on and off the court. Um, it's it's been everything. And it's it's shaped who I am uh, right now as, as as a coach. And, and you know, the fun thing, too, Brian, and, and why each game each year um, just 
you just keep learning is because, and I just heard this quote from somebody the other day, but um, they said in, in each game, there's a, there's a way to win. You just got to find out in time. You got to figure, you got to figure it out how to win in time. And um, you know, we come in with a game plan in these games, but one of the, one of the best parts about coaching is that strategy within a game, you know, somebody showed you something different that you didn't expect, or it didn't work like you thought it might work. And so to be there with Mitch and our staff and be able to talk about, Hey, how can we find a way now? It didn't go as we planned, or this isn't working. How can we find a new way to win? That That's one of the most fun things, that challenge. And you, you grow and learn from each of those win or win or lose, you grow and learn from each of those experiences. So uh, I'm excited to to keep learning and growing and there's no, there's no better place to do it than here at Princeton. Man. I mean, you think about the education of a Princeton, you know, student of a Princeton student athlete, where you're getting the education of a, a Princeton coach. That's, that's pretty special, you know, from a guy like Mitch, who's done it all as a player and a, and a coach, you're doing what you were meant to do, Brett. That's, that's what I can see. I think so. I think so. Not bad for, for a Jersey guy too, to be, to be close to home at one of the, you know, most storied and tradition rich programs in the country with, uh, with Mitch and, and this staff is, is awesome. Yeah. You know, front row seat. And, um, you know, do you have any advice to, to Mitch before this game about, you know, what he's going to say to the officials or, or are you, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Mitch has, has it all. He's, he's good. He doesn't need me giving him any advice. So he'll, he'll be in good shape. Good stuff. Well, listen, I hope you guys are in good shape. Uh, good luck against Duquesne, Monmouth. I know you're taking them one game at a time, but uh, it's it's a gauntlet of a schedule for you guys. And, uh, you know, I appreciate you taking time and coming on and talking about one of the best programs in the country. Uh, continued success. And we'll talk to you very soon, Coach. Thanks, Brian. I hope I hope you're looking for me in March again. That'd be a lot of fun. Oh, without Thank a doubt. Know. Without a doubt. I got you on Thanks. speed now. Thanks, Brian. Take care. All right. Take care, Coach. All right, there he is, Brett McConnell, filling in for Mitch Henderson, and and he does it so well. Uh, he does it so well on the sidelines. He does it so well on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. It is only a matter of time, okay, before Brett McConnell becomes a head coach. Not if, but when. He was in the running for a couple of jobs last year and ended up back at Princeton but trust me, if not this year, it will be very, very soon. All right, time to go around the Tri-State now, and we begin with UConn. The defending champs are 3-0, and but look, let's face it, it's been Cupcake City, right? The Huskies hammered Mississippi Valley State. I know one thing about Mississippi Valley State. Jerry Rice, okay? Hall of Famer Jerry Rice. Other than that, I can't tell you anything about them. The only question about this game was, would UConn cover the 44.5-point spread? The answer, no. They won by 34, 87-53. And apparently, that wasn't good enough for Husky fans who were complaining on Twitter, this team uh, laid a stinker, they need to work on free throws. Guys, you won by 34 points against a team Let's face it, everybody knew what Mississippi Valley State was all about. They lost by 40-plus points to LSU. They lost by another 40 to Oklahoma. Okay, UConn didn't play perfect. They won big. Everybody got in. Cam Spencer, what a game by Cam, huh? This was Cam's welcome to his UConn moment. 25 points, seven 
threes to go along with four assists, uh, a couple of steals. Look, UConn fans are seeing what Rutgers fans saw firsthand last year. Cam has balls. Cam hits big shots. Cam gets steals. Cam does a little bit of everything. He is a crowd favorite. He is fitting in very well. He can score 25 points and be the leading scorer one night. And the next night, he can score eight points and still be just as involved with the team. Every starter was in double figures. Uh, Stefan Castle, a little worry about him. He didn't, he didn't play due to an injury. Uh, hopefully he comes back for the next game against Indiana. But this is UConn. Next man up. Solomon Ball gets the start, gets 10 points, and away UConn goes, right? Uh, the real test coming up in the Empire Classic, Madison Square Garden. I expect a lot of Husky fans to be there Sunday and Monday. It's UConn and Indiana. Uh, UConn should win that game and then likely face Texas, who uh, should beat up on Louisville. So um, then we will see by Monday how these Huskies are gelling uh, with this new season. All right. Speaking of gelling, St. John's. Has there been too much hype around St. John's? Well, that depends on which side you're on. Because if you're on St. John's side and you're a Johnny's fan, then I get it. You can't get enough of this because you've been waiting for a coach like Rick Pitino, right? But if you're on the other side, then obviously it's more than a little overkill because everyone wants to talk to Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino's here, Rick Pitino's there, St. John's this, St. John's that. Well, we saw what happens when expectations are high and we're not looking at everything the way it should be and say, wait a minute, there's 10 new players here. It's probably going to take a little time for this team to gel. Well, Michigan proved that. What a performance by the Wolverines. This was a game for about eight minutes, all right? The first eight minutes of this game was as high-paced and as high-energy up and down the court as you will see in any college basketball game all season. I think the score was like 19 to 18 Michigan at the first TV timeout. And oh, by the way, the first TV timeout came at nearly the second TV timeout in the 12 minute mark. All right. That's how up and down the first eight minutes of this game went. And when it was all said and done and the dust settled, the Wolverines walked away with a double-digit win, 89-73. Why? Because they had the better backcourt. They executed better. They played more like a team. They rebounded better. They were tougher. I'm not going to say they out were out-coached. Uh, I'm not going to say they out-coached St. John's. But, you know, that's a pretty darn good coach on the other side, too, in Phil Martelli, who's filling in for... Jawan Howard until he comes back. All right. And, and can I just say this? The guards for Michigan, my goodness, 
Doug McDaniel, Namari Burnett. I mean, in the first half, Namari Burnett, you didn't see this coming. 21 points in the first half. St. John's could do nothing to stop him, no matter what Patino tried. And then Doug McDaniel, uh, who's just, you know, he is just short, compact, uh, muscular, and just fast. All right. He was getting everywhere in amongst the trees. Uh, I didn't even look at him, but he's got to be no more than 5'10". Okay. He did everything. He got to his spots. He shot when he had to. He shot when the shot was there. He drove and he kicked out to the open man. He made all the right plays. And if you don't believe me, just listen to what Rick Pitino had to say after the game about their guard play. It's very difficult to judge how good teams are this time of year because of the portal and all the transfers. It's a guessing game, but when we, we saw them beat Marquette 106-101 in 12-minute quarters and then watched them in their two games, we knew that they were one of the best shooting teams in the country. What we didn't expect was to get dominated by their point guard the way he dominated us tonight, and that's a credit to him. He's a terrific little player, and just dominated us and made the difference between their offense and our offense is they used each other to get great shots and we went one-on-one way too much and because of that their percentage was very high and our percentage was very low so even though we had a bunch of veterans they pl they played as individuals and Michigan deserved it because of that yeah so look it, it, it was surprising to see St. John's play hero ball all this one-on-one -on -one. And, and Patino alluded to it. I, I think the more and the better the Michigan guards played, the more Dennis Jenkins and uh, Jordan Dingle got caught up in it and tried to match them. And honestly, they were no match for McDaniel and Burnett on this night. And, and they weren't the only ones. Ten minutes into the game, I was watching Chris Ledlam, and I'm a huge Chris Ledlam fan. But was it the atmosphere of the 14,000 fans playing his first game at the Garden for St. John's, um, national TV, whatever it was, uh, Chris Ledlam did not look like Chris Ledlam. He looked anxious. He looked hurried, uh, turning the ball over, dribbling the ball, you know, off his foot, uh, missing layups, did not look comfortable whatsoever. And afterward, and, and obviously I wasn't the only one who noticed it. it. It was obvious. But Patino had nowhere to go. And afterward, that's exactly what he said. That's why Chris Ledlam played a team-high 26 minutes in spite of the fact that he wasn't playing well. Patino said he had nowhere to go. We did a good job of putting this team together. Where we didn't do a good job, I mean, it's nobody's fault because we just couldn't get it done. Our front court depth is terrible. Um, it's not enough. You, you need to have five or six front court guys. And we have too much depth in the back court and not enough depth in the front court. But, you know, when you take over a job uh, like uh, Ed did and I did, you know, you just got to take what you can get at that point. Uh, but going forward, uh, we need more front court depth. And, you know, I, I don't say with Chris. Chris played a lot of minutes and somebody just said the question and yes, but we don't really have somebody to take his place uh, at that point. That's the weakest position we have.
Look, I'm not picking on Ledlam. Everyone was poor in this game. I said it. Jenkins, Dingle, uh, Patino called out everyone, called out Soriano for not going to the post. He was not aggressive. No one played well. And they didn't play well offensively or defensively. So, Coach, which was worse, your offense or your defense? Our defense tonight was not good. But I'm going to give all the credit to Michigan. Our offense shocked the shit out of me. Shocked the hell out of me that we didn't share the ball and move the basketball. Joel didn't post up one time in the arc. And that was disturbing. Um, and those are things that we have to do. It really, the offense really shocked the hell out of me. Man, I, I could just listen to Rick Patino all day long. Uh, I've been a fan of Rick Patino since his days at, at Providence. I went to a Rick Patino basketball camp my summer going into my junior year. And it was the summer of 86, the year before St. John's goes to the Final Four, right? With great backcourt of Billy Donovan and Delray Brooks. And those guys are practicing and playing summer ball, summer workouts, you know, in the very gym and the auxiliary gym that we're practicing and and going to our camping. And before it, it was just it was just awesome just seeing them and and I, I caught myself watching them at times and who knew that they would go to the final four, right? So going into this camp, it was a four and a half day camp. And I was scratching my head saying, why is it only four and a half days? Why isn't it six days, six and a half days? Well, let me tell you something. On the morning of the fifth day, when there was just a morning practice and then you were released by, by noon, guys couldn't even walk. Guys were limping to the, to the final session, crawling, okay? Because their legs were so sore at how much Rick Pitino and Gordon Chiesa and his coaches worked us. I have never, as a player back in the day, worked so hard in those four days. And I've been a fan of Patino ever since. So this team is going to get better. This team, it will get better because Patino will make sure that it gets better. But he's right. It's very guard heavy. So if Joel Soriano gets into foul trouble, St. John's is in big trouble because there's nowhere to go after the big fella. But they have enough talent to get it all together. They will be a factor in the Big East. They will be a factor overall. Uh, it's one loss, and this team will grow from it. And let me tell you this about Michigan. That team was picked 11th in the Big Ten. Rutgers was picked 10th. Michigan, 11. Right now, I test. I find it hard to believe there are 10 better teams in the Big Ten than Michigan. I know it's only one game. I will be surprised if Michigan is not in the top six by the end of the year. I'm not going to go crazy and say top four. That would not surprise me if they got a double bye. But I'm going to put them top six. All right. And very much an NCAA tournament team. All right. Monmouth. I want to talk about them a little bit because they beat West Virginia in case you didn't see it. They go into West Virginia on the road 
and knock off the Mountaineers. And Xander Rice, the son of King Rice, scores a career-high 30 points. He's playing for his dad. He's a fifth-year senior, played his, his first four years, and graduated at Bucknell. And he's playing his COVID year for his dad. That is a team that can get it going this year. And how great would it be if Monmouth is back being Monmouth again and they're led by Xander Rice, the son of King Rice? The last thing I want to talk about is Iona and Sacred Heart. I told you it was going to be a great game. I told you it was going to be one of the best mid-major matchups early in the season, and it lived up to the hype. 88-81 was the final score. This game was up and down. Sacred Heart, uh, neither team led by more than eight. Sacred Heart, it seemed like they were in control. It Not in control, but it seemed like they were going to pull out the win. They were up 80-75. to 75, And then Iona turns on the switch. They outscore the Pioneers 13-1 to 1 down the stretch. Edan Tritu was magnificent. So while one Harvard alum struggled in his home debut at Madison Square Garden in Chris Ledlam, the other Harvard graduate, his teammate, excelled and starred in his home debut at the Heinz Athletic Center. 34 points. And boy, did they need every one of those. Because uh, Osborne Shima, the big man for Iona, is still sitting out with a foot injury, was not available to play in this game. The scoring had to come from somewhere. Greg Gordon, who I absolutely love, was in foul trouble the whole game. The junior college All-American for Iona. And somebody needed to step up. Weza Panzo had a good game. But Edan Tritu was the star. Mac player of the week. Uh, what a performance in getting Tobin Anderson his first win at Iona. But Sacred Heart was not down. They were down, but they weren't out. They bounced back with a terrific road win of their own on Tuesday night at Holy Cross, which had just beaten Georgetown over the weekend. So Anthony Latina gets the Pioneers back in there Heck of a road win at Holy Cross. And I'll tell you what, it was an extra special night for Joey Riley because Joey Riley, the former state player of the year from East Catholic High School, one of the most storied high school careers you'll see ever anywhere. I think his final record at East Catholic uh, being a four-year player for his uncle Luke at East Catholic was like 104 and only seven losses. Well, Joey Riley was at Holy Cross for two years, had injuries there. It just wasn't the right fit. Ended up transferring, goes over to Sacred Heart and is playing for Anthony Latina. And he is excelling and finding uh, a lot of joy again in basketball. He had 10 points in that game. So good for Joey beating his former team, Holy Cross, and good for Sacred Heart. Nice bounce back win uh, for the leaders in the NEC. All right, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My thanks to Brett O'Connell 
associate head coach of Princeton for coming on before they take on Duquesne. The Tigers are off to a 2-0 start. Thanks for listening, everyone. Continue to spread the word about the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. My thanks to our sponsor, the North Jersey Vipers. If you or your daughter or someone you know are looking to play for a high-level elite club softball team, visit their website at NorthJerseyVipers.com. My name is Brian Dinovellis. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Enjoy the games, everyone. So long.